0: 1 Kings chapter 17, one of the great characters of human history. The title is Days of Elijah. Finally, (laughs) finally, studying and preparation was so much more fun than going over the kings, the politicians of Israel. And uh, hopefully um, you'll find it a blessing. This chapter begins a new prophetic order. There were other prophets, of course, but God now intensifies the ministry of the prophets and he begins with Elijah and he develops it further with Elisha and, of course, then you have eventually prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And, of course, Daniel was a prophet outside of Israel. But, uh, God is elevating the office of a prophet. And you we're going to see that in these first few chapters concerning Elijah. Now, they're going to have national importance. But granted, David had Nathan and Gad, the prophets, but David had a direct line to the Lord. And when he needed to be rebuked or sometimes got into areas that were unclear to him, certainly God had David interact with the prophets, but not like um, it is going to be here. From this point forward, Israel, uh, the prophet in Israel, the prophet will be superior to the king from God's perspective. And even though, uh, e- this will be in this, in Judah also, or even though in Judah you have some righteous kings, not very many, but you do have some, even their work was due to the inspiration and the uh, influence of the prophets, the office of the prophets. The arrival of this great prophet, Elijah, and he is a great prophet, and just in this chapter alone, there are uh, so many miracles, innumerable, I guess I should, the word I was looking for. He arrives on the scene, and it's not an interruption in the records of the kings. It is a record of the response of God to the conditions created by corrupt kings. It is God's response to apostate kings and to those who are worshiping vapor, as we covered the word used for the idols uh, here in Kings, one of the words. In this chapter alone, Elijah comes on the scene announces a drought, which is going to bring, of course, a famine. The rains will be withheld. The ravens, they will deliver, like a door dash without a door kind of a time, where they're going to deliver food to, to the prophet morning and evening. Then there's the widow at Zarephath. The rations were set for her by the prophet. And then her son, of course, dies. It doesn't say that, but the implication is clear. And Elijah revives him. And um, this is what we're going to look at this evening. So we go to verse 1 now of 1 Kings chapter 17. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As Yahweh God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Well, King Ahab and his anti-god wife Jezebel Now rule. And we only have to look back to uh, verse 33 of the previous chapter, chapter 16. And there we read, Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke Yahweh, God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And so God dispatches not only Elijah, but creates this uh, new, important, or more emphasized ministry of the prophets. With this religion that was imported, this Canaan, these Canaanite religions, male and female prostitution, child murder, and sacrifice, how would you like to be the prime minister of Canada who is inviting people to come to Canada to kill the unborn if they can't kill them here? You see, this kind of evil is still going on. And the 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 murder of the unborn is uh, in those days here they they wait the child could be older not a newborn necessarily nowadays they they can't wait for that they can kill them before they even get a chance so anyhow um, you can't be a Christian and sanction this these type of things I mean yeah there are medical exceptions but they're very few in, in comparison. In fact, in fact, the number one killer of human beings is child murder, the unborn child being murdered. Uh, you, you add up the wars, the diseases, they're more killed before they have a chance than after they uh, enter into this world. Anyway, every conceivable vice associated with Jezebel's religion was now, in the Northern Kingdom, in the Promised Land, with the people of Promise, and this is what the devilish duo of Ahab and Jezebel brought into the land. And we again, we have them today. We had them in uh, people like uh, Bill and Hillary. We have had them in uh, the, the the Obamas, and well, the one now is not bright enough to be anyway. Uh, I mean, these people are—it's just like living. Uh, we we have these things, the, these people that are just wicked to the core, are so corrupt, and the darkness in their hearts is uh, astounding. Uh, anyway, uh, this is what the the prophet is facing, and to counter this satanic influence, God raised up this powerful prophet in particular, and for us, God is to raise up the church. But so many of the churches are about so many. So many of the churches are about so many other things than simply preaching the word. They, they think the Bible is not enough to keep people happy. Well, maybe they view their children, their, their congregation like children. You've got to keep them busy. You've got to keep them happy. I don't know, but one thing we're going to hear a lot from this prophet is, Thus says the Lord, and this is what the church is supposed to be saying to the world. We're supposed to say, look, I know you're not uh, going to go to the Bible yourself, so I'm going to bring it to you. And and thus says the Lord. Anyway, this chapter begins with a conjunction. If we look again at verse 1, it says, And Elijah the Tishbite. Well, that therefore is an, ad- an addition to what has t- already taken place in the previous chapter. The story is continuing. Ahab and Jezebel have brought in, the, imported this, e- these evil religions, and God is now countering them. So it's not, well, I think God is countering. No, it's telling us, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. He, he is dispatched by God. It is God's addition. It is God continuing the story, and uh, uh, that's all we have to do is read the end of the last chapter of the verse I just read. It's a melancholy story. It's depressing to see the, the rap, rapid and popular spread of evil. We're living through this today. We're watching insanity. on uh, The defense of evil is astounding. Anyway, This is um, still, we are to be focused, and we're going to get that out of this chapter, that, yeah, that's what's happening around you, but you have your assignment as a believer. We all have assignments as a believer. Go into the world, make disciples, those who are willing to learn about God. And uh, we, we would suppose that with the evil coming in, okay, that's it. We've been reading about these bad kings since Jeroboam, one after another, killing each other. God is not doing anything. God is not going to respond. The guilty, uh, they they probably thought that. Ahab and Jezebel probably thought that Yahweh was marginalized. He, He has no power. The influence of Baal is what matters. And in our time, it's the influence of the culture. That's their God, what everybody else is doing wish there was a way to defund the doofuses, but um, you, you, you can't. Uh, so you got to just meet them head-on and change our battle plan. Anyway, uh, the guilty, Ahab and Jezebel, they also thought that the false prophets would prevail. Uh, the, to them, they were not false prophets. They were just in, in religion they enjoyed. They enjoyed this. They didn't, it, it doesn't matter that it was fake. It doesn't matter that there was no Unbroken witness from Adam to the present. That did not matter. It did not count. What counted is they liked these gods. And as the Bible teaches from Deuteronomy into the New Testament, these gods are demons. They're, they're demon-made. Yeah, Allah to us is demonic. It is, and they'd kill you for that. I couldn't say that about living in Pakistan and expect to live. But I can say it here, and I just said it. And, uh, you know, anyway, I don't want to be... I'm not trying to be cocky. It is just. It is an element of defiance when you know you're right. When you know that evil is, is not being interfered with, the righteous have a defiant spirit towards that. And, and that has cost us in our day, uh, in the day of Christianity, and in the days of the righteous Jews, It has cost lives to to confront these things. Well, anyway, impenitent sinners repeat the same mistake. Those who sin and don't say to God, I know I'm violating your commandments and I wish I could stop. The impenitent doesn't do that. And if the impenitent does, it's because of their own self. I just want to have more control over my life, but I really don't care about God. They make the mistake of supposing God is not going to respond, that they're going to get away with these things. There's a way that seems right to man, but its way leads to death and eternal death. The sin the sin um, it, it ruins a nation. A righteous exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to all people, says the Lord. Anyway, uh, at this time, Even the remnant of the righteous, even those who remain faithful to Jehovah God are still uh, there, but they probably think God's not going to do anything. See, this is the difference. Well, this is for us, for example. All right, so America is becoming something else now. What is my assignment? What am I supposed to do? well, I'm supposed to preach the word in season and out of season. What part of in season and out of season does not mean in season and out of season? I'm supposed to always preach the word, be a witness of Jesus Christ. That's what my assignment is. And when we start getting uh, distracted into other things, you know, you can get tripped up in politics very quickly. Or you can trip them up with the truth of Jesus Christ. Elijah was God's response. And the two sticks, that couple of sticks, Ahab and Jezebel, who who, who in their fits of evil brought uh, precipitated this judgment of uh, that's coming, uh, they're going to find out. Um, I mean, we know she gets eaten by dogs. Well, the dogs didn't even want to eat parts of her. She was so bad. I mean, I'm sure those dogs had stomach aches after. But anyway, <laughs> well, this is... Um, uh, a fact concerning these things. If God did not send this type of prophet, this man, things would have been even worse in the history of the Jews. He had such an effect, not only in his time, but all through the ages. Have I, as a Christian, any effect do, do, on my surroundings? Do I have an influence for righteousness Uh, Have I learned as a Christian as the years have gone by not to push the gospel in my own strength, try to tie a rope on the gospel and drag it up a hill into somebody's life? That's not the gospel. That's uh, that's not what what I mean by that's not the gospel. That's not what we learn in the New Testament on how to share the gospel and win souls. Not by might nor by power attracts us from the prophet uh, Zechariah because it is a New Testament teaching concerning being led by the Holy Spirit. And uh, it is that important and that helpful. Jesus said, "You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, if it's lost that taste, how shall it be seasoned? It's good for nothing but to be thrown down and trampled underfoot by men. And I as a Christian, I don't the only way I know to lose my salt is to become an apostate, is to bury the treasure and snuff out the light that God has given. And I don't plan to do that. Knowing what's coming about this prophet changes this introduction. Elijah the Tishbite. (laughs) He comes on this scene in a dramatic, startling way. Uh, It is fitting. He comes from nowhere, obscure Tishbi. We still don't know where that is. He shows up in the midst of idolatry. He goes everywhere he wants to go because he's sent to the places that he goes with the exception of one one pronounced time. He confronts the rulers. He slays the false prophets. He makes disciples. Yes, he makes there be no Elisha without an Elijah. He's a a little eccentric at times. He gets carried away, but not in his religion by God to heaven. It's very easy to be carried away, to become a religious zealot in a negative sense. Not zealous for the Lord you serve and worship, but a zealot for a religion and its ritual. You could say, I don't really need God, I've got my religion. And a lot of people do that. Well, this Tishbi likely meant little to anyone in those days, as it uh, can't even be located on the map. And here is the prophet that we find in the New Testament standing next to Moses talking to Jesus Christ. That on the Mount of Transfiguration is alone a remarkable stamp of of God's opinion of this man and his ministry. He is the prophet who sets the pace for repentance before the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, John the Baptist is associated with Elijah. And, of course, there are the two witnesses that are associated with these guys are calling fire down from heaven, like just like Elijah did. He is the prophet that conveys the Spirit of God during the Great Tribulation. Malachi chapter 4, New Testament, supports this, of course. Behold, I send you, Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. And that's just a snippet. Of this, the spirit of his ministry. There will be Elijah-like characters. John the Baptist was an Elijah-like character, and there will be others. Some believe that will he, he will be dispatched again to earth in human form. You really can't argue that. There's nothing to say it can't happen. Uh, uh, you just you won't don't want to be here. To, you want to see it from the grandstands in heaven and not from uh, real time. Anyway, he said to Ahab, now that's the king, of course, the wicked king, solely responsible for bringing Jezebel into the land. First Kings, again, chapter 16, verse 31. And it came to pass, as though it had been a little thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. But he didn't go to Sidon to do it. He stayed in Israel to do it. And he brought it all in. 1 Kings 18, Jezebel massacred the prophets of Yahweh. We just need to be clear on who we're dealing with here. When we talk about Ahab and Jezebel, even though he has a flash, one moment, uh, you know, in in, chapter 20, he, he seems to be reachable. It's, he doesn't sustain it. You'll meet people like that. They'll say the right thing. Yeah, I know. I need to get right with God. And then they go and do the most heinous things and have no intention of stopping. These characters in Scripture exist for us to learn our skill as Christians in dealing with people on behalf of the Lord, and on behalf of people. God, Christ died for people, and we can't lose sight of that. He didn't just die for me, he died for others too. It says here in verse 1, And Yahweh God of Israel lives. That's Elijah announcing this. This is his first recorded sermon, it's very short. And he makes it clear that you... You, Ahab, you follow dead boughs, junk It doesn't even exist. My God, Yahweh, he is alive and he participates and he has power. That's what he is saying. It's a formal way of saying, I have a message from the real God to you who worship a false God. Because that's what it's all about. If it's not, that, That's why eternity matters, because it's all about God. Some would rather walk with angels than stand with God. He's saying, "I, the, the Yahweh God of Israel, uh, before whom I stand, he says. And the reason why people want to walk with angels because they don't feel angels convict them. That's because, again, they're ignorant of God's word. Ignorant of God's word. You get to the book of Revelation. You know, it's just people are getting obsessed with Revelation, I think, and, and that's not good. Uh, you just you, they get spooked by it. I think one of the reasons why they're focused on the negative. When you come to the Book of Revelation, focus on the positive, the power of these angels. I mean, you can't top the holy hand grenade that that's in the Book of Revelation. He takes it, and he throws it. I mean, the, the, every time. Then the angel said with a loud voice, "That's our side. That's our team. I should be excited about this." And not, oh boy, the millions are going to die. Well, that's going to happen. I can't control that. But what I can control is my perception of the power and the force that my God has available so that maybe he can impart some of that to me to do his work, to carry out my assignment because these are the days of Elijah. There's just as much Ahab and Jezebel corruption now than there there was then. We're a little sheltered from the extreme, but that That's closing in. It's shrinking, that safe zone. Anyway, uh, he says, as as Yahweh God of Israel lives, Abraham, this is what we read, when Abraham was finished praying, he prayed for the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said, it's just too late. I've got a remnant there. I'll get them out if they want. And the proof of that Remember Lot's wife? And those who don't believe in free will, I, I just don't get that. Do they, do they freely believe that? Is that... A free? Anyway, Genesis eighteen twenty-two. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before Yahweh. I just love that. You love that he stood by the tree waiting to serve the three visitors. One of them being a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. You love that Abraham just stayed there ready to serve. There shall not be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Well, why should God bless the defiant? They were defying him. Why should he let rain come? You know, Elihu, you know, the windbag of the book of Job. Uh, you know, you got to be careful. You don't want, I, at least I, I don't want to quote Bildad, Zophad, Elihu, any of the, the guys that were a problem to Job. But every now and then they say something that's, that's wise and right. But you got to consider the source. And he is the one that said, you know, God, he didn't say it this way, but he essentially he said, you know, God can just pinch the airline. We depend on him for our oxygen. Yeah, that's true. But I'm still not going to quote Elihu. I Eli, don't like him. I mean, we am going to get to heaven if he's there. We'll be friends. We won't bring it up. Because, <laughs> I mean, you know, teaching the book of Job is exciting when you're talking about what Job is saying. And you get to those other guys, it's like, man, he won't shut up. Who wrote this down? Who thought this was important? All right, anyway, back to this. Uh, no dew or no rain. Now, the righteous are going to have to deal with this, too. It's not like it's just going to be a drought on those who are not right with me. This did not mean God did not care for the righteous. Thus the widow at Zarephath. I mean, God had her, you know, on his mind. Um, But the righteous have their assignment within the drought. The remnant have, have, they have something to do besides just enduring the hardship. God does care about them. But he's got other things to do. And he has to use them as part of the process. And they're going to take some of the heat. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Which one of those are going to separate you from Christ? Good question. May none of them, because some have opted out because of those things. And Jesus talked about the seed that fell amongst the thorns and the cares of this world choked out the word of God in the lives of those people. He says, before whom I stand, to stand for anything, means you have to stand against something else. That is this life. You're going to stand for Christ, you're going to stand against the world. There's, there's no merging of the two. A uh, little leaven leavens the lump in, in our thinking. And it sometimes it's a lot of work trying to keep the leaven out. There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. No reason to doubt God's word. Israel's famines, all of them, were a result of their idolatry. And that's made clear not only in, uh, well, it's Leviticus 26. It just makes it very clear. God is, I'm gonna, I'm, the heavens are going to be like iron to you. Like steel, you know, you're not going to be able to, to reach me with prayer if you start praying to these idols. Of course, if they repented. Verse 2, hey, we got the verse 2. I, I was going to name this Elijah, Days of Elijah Part 1. That still might happen. Anyway, the word of Yahweh came to him saying, uh, saying, before we get to the saying, the point is, of course, God speaks to Elijah, but the New Testament then rings in on this and says, James chapter 5, verse 70, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What? If God can speak to him and he's uh, got a fallen nature like mine, then God can speak to me. I'd rather dodge the whole drought thing, but <laughs> uh, here, here we are. and this is, So it's a significant little verse. The word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah. A man with a nature like mine. But I'm preoccupied with feeling better about life. Uh, does that, I mean, what would life, man has tried to give us a picture of uh, what they would like humanity to be. You know, for any of you Star Trek fans, Mr. Spock was the guy without feelings. And everybody wished they could be like him. But we're not. And so, you know, in this life, we, our feelings get in the way of so much stuff. And we have to learn how to overcome in verse, verse 3, he said, God's speaking to the prophet. After he delivers the message to the king, it's not going to rain. God says, uh, preach it and beat it. Get away from here and turn eastward and hide at the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. So he was to preach and run. Now, the next time the prophet flees, uh, it's not because God told him to. It's because he was afraid. And did not wait for the Lord. The Lord caught up with him. And when the Lord caught up, he sent an angel to catch up with him first. And when the angel got there, the angel said, (laughs) (laughs) I had to catch up to you, man. You could run. Anyway, uh, the judgment he pronounced. You're going to inconvenience him too. He's got to go hide out by a brook. Now, he's the kind of character he might not have minded too much. Like John the Baptist and his old locust eating thing. I mean, it's so gross. Some some Bible commentators have tried to get John out of that. Well, they really weren't locusts. It was a honey, a pot. Of, no, they were locusts. Uh, that's what he ate. Stop doing that. Anyway, uh, the judgment he pronounced inconvenienced him too, And now he was in danger for his life. From the, the you know, uh, again, you preach it and beat it, man, because he's going to get you if he doesn't. And So he says, by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan, the exact location is unknown to us. It was unknown to Ahab, too, or else he would have found him there. But uh, Elijah had had a place to flee to, which he did not know was a safe zone, a safe house, until God told him it was. And uh, he may have been, at this point in his ministry, too naive to understand uh, that... He needed to run for his life. So there's a time to run, and there's a time to stand. He still stands with God, but he's not going to be standing anywhere near Ahab. Uh, So again, likely a newcomer to uh, prophetic ministry on a a national scale, on the the political field. And so God helps him out. Verse 4, And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and uh, and I have commanded ravens to feed you there. Now, these ravens are going to be carrying his food in their mouth. That's gross. I I wouldn't eat it. (laughs) Well, eventually I would. Uh, So God assures him that he is going to be protected and provided for. Again, how did he get in such a mess? By preaching the word of God, what God told him to say, we have it in print now. He was developing the part of the process of developing the print. And th- these birds delivering the food from who knows where. That's another problem. Do you know where that penny has been? I mean, gosh. Uh, um, just the other day, I'm dr- last Thursday, I'm driving in. It's about 9 in the morning, a little before. And I see this, this scavenger, this turkey buzzard. is I don't know what he's got, a squirrel or something. He's in my lane. He sees me coming and he sees me coming and he grabs the carcass and he drags it onto the shoulder of the road i mean to be so smart and ugly at the same time is a blessing and a curse oh golly anyway uh this brook is going to run dry and there's lessons there these are these are what topical messages come from these these kind of parts of the scripture cuz there's so much going on here but uh here he is the uh, uh, the palace has a contract out on his life because he dared to stand and speak God's word. Verse five. So he went and did according to the word of Yahweh for he went and stayed by the brook Kirith, which flows into the Jordan. Verse six, the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Uh, this is, uh, So this is not a single miracle. This is what I was saying about the power this man was uh, experiencing in God. This was a morning and day, a morning and day miracle. Every time those ravens showed up with meat and food, uh, it was miraculous. You know, ravens are in the crow family, and they eat everything. They're scavengers, which is more reason not to eat what they bring. They do the undertaker's work. The carry and disposal removes, I mean, the, the removes rotting flesh. is such a help, uh, as, as, as gross it is, as it is. Uh, if they don't do their job, it, rotting flesh creates a big problem for human beings. The Jews were not to eat meat that was killed by an animal or died of natural causes because the blood was not properly ritualistically removed, and God did not want them getting a taste of that, and then it would work its way into their uh, faith. And this was a problem even in the New Testament, it comes up. Uh, but where did they get this? Well, you couldn't ask them. To, you couldn't say, well, where did you get this piece of meat? Has the blood been drained? This was not the time for ritual. Uh, they Likely they stole it. If somebody puts some meat out to dry out in the sun to make jerky, you know. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Who knows? It's um, still, I mean, would you want to eat a piece of food that was in a bird's beak? Um, <laughs> bread and meat here in bottom of verse 6, the Hebrew word for bread means food in general and not just um, bread, as we know it. Verse 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So in the midst of spiritual, uh, spiritually hostile people, uh, here his brook of inspiration and God is taking care of him dries up. We all get a Kirith at some point in our life, some place where God just sustains us. He can do it in so many ways. Your job, it could be your job. It could be a good friend in your life. At the time you need a good friend, when a friend counts. And then all of a sudden it dries up. Maybe the friend goes home to be with the Lord. Or moves away. Maybe the job ends. And that place of uh, supply, the resources, uh, they're gone. And you're left wondering, now what's going to happen to me? How will I be provided for? If my Kirith dries up, maybe God has a Zarephath to reassign me to so that I won't be fed by the ravens anymore, but I'll be feeding those in need. And that's what's going to happen with this prophet. Uh, God may give us access to a Zarephath if the brook goes dry. And it's interesting because God did not miraculously you know, send him to, well, there's an underground spring and he'll have an endless amount of water. Well, God had other plans. And he causes all things to work together for the good. But he conveniently leaves in the fine print. It might hurt. God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love him. But it might hurt. (laughs) Okay. It's true. And I don't like it because my feelings don't like it. But it is honorable under the circumstances we live in. He says, because there had been no rain. Um, So God knew that there were others about to perish. And he is now, in his timing, sending the prophet to save them. Verse 8, then the word of Yahweh came to him, saying, Uh, again, before I read what God says to him, this is the direct word to the prophet, this was the office of the prophets, whereas the priests, uh, they carried on the previously spoken word that was in print from Moses, the rites. They carried that out. And so the priests would minister on behalf of the people up towards God, where the prophet would minister on behalf of the people, but from God to the people. So you, you've got this ladder going two different directions, one for the priests and one for the, for the prophets. And that is an overview of their office. Verse 9, arise, this is what God is telling him now, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Well, God is going to be sending him to a lot of places, and he seems not to move, again, with the one exception, until God instructs him. He's sent into Jezebel's territory, her home, her homeland right under the nose of the wicked people that are, that are importing lies from hell into to Israel. And he would never have thought to do this. And God did, though, and God sends him here. And he brings into this land this power because Baal has no power to do anything about the drought because the widow's about to die. She, that's what she's going to say. And Yahweh is not helpless, miraculously providing for her. With a bounty on his head, no less. Uh, would anyone would anyone give him shelter? With, he, you know, when we get to First Kings uh, chapter 18, when Elijah does now dispatch back to Ahab, he goes to the prophet, uh, to the godly man, Obed, and he says, tell your master, Elijah is here. And if that were put in cinema, that would be one of those parts of the movie that you really enjoy. Elijah is here. And he's like, man, I, I, I love that little verse. Anyway, um, in that eight, 18th chapter we read, and Yahweh, your, as Yahweh your God lives, there is no nation. This is Obed telling Elijah that everybody, the king is everybody looking for you to kill you. So this is where we get this from. And as Yahweh your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. So Ahab was so serious about this, he says, well, if he's not here, this is what's going to happen. He was very serious. My point is, uh, with word out like this to kill him, and he would have known this, who would take him in after the brook dries up? Uh, This is how I would think. My brook is dried up. Where can I go? I can't live on my own. People are out to kill me. Where can I go? Well, God says, go to Zarephath. Jesus remembered her. He remembers her at this time when he sends the prophet to rescue her, but he remembers her when he walked and, and ministered in Jerusalem, Luke chapter 4. He said, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up, Three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. All of those things irked the Pharisees. She was a foreigner. She was a woman. She, was, uh, she couldn't take care of herself. And, and Jesus said, God had to go outside of Israel to find somebody that would take care of Elijah. Don't go around boasting about how self-righteous you think you are. Anyway, he's continuing here in verse 9. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. She didn't know this. (laughs) She did not know she was commanded. Uh, This is amazing to me. Because in my life, there are times where I don't know what God's doing, and and I need to know what he's doing, and he does it. And it's sort of like, hmm, I landed on my feet. I thought I was going to land on my head. And somehow, it worked out. So from needing, again, to be fed by ravens, he is dispatched to feed those in need. And he doesn't even know what's going to happen yet. She did not know. Her name came up before the throne of God. And neither did the, the prophet until God... And, and she doesn't know the prophet's going to be sent there. And, and we'll live with her for... Or not in the same uh, facility, uh, but he'll he'll be there. There's, living in the upstairs apartment in those days that had an external entrance exit, and he's going to take the child up that way, and that kept the appearance of evil away. Anyway, she didn't know she had an opportunity to serve. How many Christians, how many churchgoers have opportunity to serve God? Their name has come up to serve God, and they don't. And the years tick by, and they just never serve. Am I ready for this? For God to avail himself of my usefulness, even if it's a drought in my life, even if things are really bad in my life as they were for her, am I ready for God to use me nonetheless? Or do I need him to take the drought away first? Because this is the picture she gives to us. She's collecting sticks for her death, and she's, let's open it. Verse 10. So he arose, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. I like that he said, please. He, he knows that uh, you know, she's not obligated to do this. It's a gesture of kindness he's seeking. And so on his side, <clears throat> he acts on his reassignment. Okay, I move from Kirath to Zarephath in Gentile territory. Now he's involved in the, in the sufferings of the common people. Uh, no raven's bringing food now. And at the widow's house, he's made to feel what others are feeling. Because he's going to hear it coming from her voice. Zarephath, like Sidon, like now the northern kingdom, was spiritually scarred, like many places today. I mean, we could we could go to certain areas in the country and, and where where we live, and they're just scarred uh, by sp- uh, you know the spiritually wicked uh, blue cities. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be political, but you can't help some, you know some of it's just right there on the surface. Anyway. This, these scars, these hideous and cruel rites of Jezebel's religion, her hereditary religion, no less. She was born into this stuff, and she wasn't going anywhere. When she arrives in Israel, she's quick to obey those pagan priests that she admired so much from childhood. And when they told her, you need to put altars here, you need to do this, and she, was, she was on it. The devil has his dark outreach for souls also. We're not the only ones that are supposed to be looking out for souls. Indeed, a widow was gathering sticks, is what it tells us here. She's a, newly a widow. And the way we come well, at least I do. I don't know how others get to it. He recognized her by her mourning garment, the, the widow's garment. This was the case with Tamar in Genesis, Genesis 38, verse 14. So she took off her widow's garment, covered herself in a veil, and, raptors, and then she went to to deceive uh, Judah. But she was wearing a widow's garment because her husband, of course, uh, died. So that is how he knew she was a widow when God said, I'm sending you to the widow of Zarephath. Also, we know that she was young because the child she has is small enough for her to carry in her arms and the prophet to carry up steps. So these are how we get an idea that she... You know, it could have been a year or two, but it's not like she's been a widow. You know, I, you you don't think about those things. You kind of think, well, you know, she's an older woman. And no, she's, she's actually probably pretty young. Anyway, verse 11. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So he asked for some water. And she's going to get it. now he asks for food. And she says, boy, you're a greedy one, aren't you? No, she doesn't say that. So she said, verse 12, this is what she does say. As Yahweh, your God, lives, I do not have bread. Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die she's not being overly dramatic. She's nowhere to get food. The stores, the shelves are empty. She's a Gentile showing deference to Yahweh. That's noticeable. She says a handful of flour in a bin. Well, it depends on whose hand is full because God's hand holds the grain fields. You know, he owns a thousand hills and the cattle thereon. There's never a resource problem for God, which is, becomes a problem for us because we say, God, you could do this. Why aren't you doing this? And, looking at, continuing in verse 12, And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Their last meal, as far as she is concerned. Now, it says a couple of sticks. That's accurate to the Hebrew, two. Uh, that number, that Hebrew word is often, is used for the number two. And she's using it, you know, in a, in a loose, not a strict sense. You know, I'm, I'm getting a few sticks Well, she can grip two and break them in half and kindle her fire if she she knows what she's doing. These two sticks, Ahab and Jezebel, the two sticks of satanic work amongst the people, responsible for this very hardship that both of them are enduring and, of course, others. And the day will come when those two sticks, Ahab and Jezebel, will be gathered for judgment. The day will come when the wicked will be gathered for judgment. And the, this is part of our message that it is avoidable. Uh, all Ahab had to do was side with Elijah. That's all he had to do. He does not. And when rulers, wicked rulers, sitting in office doing what is good for Satan, then yeah, these are the days again of Elijah. Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward make some for yourself and your son. Now this is just amazing. This is what God's word is teaching us. Some think it's harsh when the shepherds insist that God be put first. Do you do your devotions? No, I got just so much problems in my life. Have you made your offerings? so no, I don't have any money. Well, everybody's got two cents. If you don't have it, steal it. No, kidding. <laughs> uh, well, I guess if you're a prosperity teacher, that would be what you know. Anyway, uh, you just, you know, put God first. Luke 21, verse 4. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. She didn't wait for things to get better. It's not easy. This is not easy. It takes faith. He says, feed the prophet first. Then you can take, you know, contrary to men and uh, women and children first, <laughs> it's a reversal. Prophets coming <laughs> Now, this wouldn't work on the Titanic. You wouldn't say, sorry, prophet's first. Excuse me, ma'am. Uh, that, that's not what's going on here. <laughs> she doesn't know he's a prophet yet. He's just a stranger passing through. He may have had some indication of a prophet on his garment, but I have no indication of that, though, for us. Anyway, she doesn't know that he's going to take care of her. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is what we're seeing, because she does this. She doesn't protest. We see that, that that Matthew 6.33 in action on her part. She is a heroine in the story also. Hebrews 13.2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Now, that's a reference to Abraham directly, but indirectly it includes Brother Elijah. She doesn't know who he is. She doesn't know what he's where he's been, who she is in relation to God. Anyway... This is always the platform that God starts off with, what he demands. He demands that he be honored first and will not settle for second place. Now, you have to use wisdom here because some will abuse this. Good God first, and they're really up to no good. And they're really not using any brains. They're just wicked. But Elijah's challenge to the widow would call for her. To employ faith in the midst of her desperate situation. And that's what stands out. He is challenging a mother's God-given instincts to keep God first and her and her son second. He is challenging her to do that. Now, you can say, yeah, well, she could have said, well, I'll go, what's a few more minutes of hunger? It's going to take her a little time to get everything going. And she's got to wait and serve him first. And he's a stranger. I, I think it's a pretty high demand. But I also think God purposely has left this little tidbit in the story. Because it is not little. It is big. And I've always read this and say, man, that's kind of odd. He shows up and he says, feed me first. And she does it. In verse 14, thus says Yahweh, God of Israel. You know, he's. This is her response to it. His response to her, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of Yahweh sends rain on the earth. It says now in verse 15, So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. But it does not tell us if she believed him at verse 14. Go in, make my meal first, and the food won't run out for us. I don't think she just said, okay, I believe you. Because at the end of the story, she's going to question his his ministry. I think she just does it. And God knew she would do it. There are sometimes those things about us that just are there. We may not be able to articulate them, but they are there. We did the right thing. Maybe when we would say, well, I wasn't thinking. I just did this. And that may be the case here. She's not really processing the thoughts; She's just okay she goes and does it God saw this was going to happen uh, he did not force her he recognized that the ingredients were there she would be given the opportunity to be useful and she took it so he tells her he challenges her faith what if she didn't do it what if she said no after my son and I eat you can or you can eat when what if she did that I didn't, God wouldn't have sent her there She, her son, and the prophet will all eat. Elijah lived with this widow and her son for some period of time while the drought continued. We get that. We'll come back to the touch on it briefly. Verse 16. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of Yahweh, which he spoke by Elijah. Now, King David made this observation. He said, I have been old. Well, I've been young. And now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor their descendants begging for bread. The Bible is always putting in front of us a chance to believe. It first gets us to, you know, ready in our theology, and then life happens to us, and we get to see if we believe the things we claim to be so precious, the things we sing about. Verse 17, um, now, it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. Now that Hebrew word means just what it says. The the breath was gone. He was dead, is what we would say. This is going to be the first recorded instance of of a revived life in Scripture. God allows this death. God overcomes this death certainly doesn't always do this way, but this is um, going to intensify. Verse 18. So she said to Elijah, What have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Man, she is broken. And understandably. She said with bitterness, of course. Regardless of the tone, the words themselves make that clear. Recorded for our Edification, our education to learn how to and how not to behave under the pressures of life. Sometimes, when I make a pastor call, pastoral call at some bad event, I do. I'm ready for someone using me as the point of contact to lash out at God. Um, It has not happened. It happened to Elijah. It could happen to me. Um, it's happened to others. Have you come to, she says here in verse 18, have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance? Is it a surprise to you to find Christians who believe in the salvation of Jesus Christ and yet still live life in a state of guilt in their own heads? They know they've done wrong. Jesus says, I forgive you for that. But then that's not good enough. I know it's, it's not always easy, but you, it's worse. It's harder. Uh, it, it's harder to keep that sin, to carry that burden around with you when he's removed it. Uh, again, even believing him for salvation of their souls, do you still think he's not strong enough to take the guilt of your actions away from you? He's thoroughly dealt with the guilt, but they insist that he is not. These verses should mean something to him. I'll just take a few because there are quite a few, but we'll just take maybe two or three. Micah, the prophet, speaking to a guilty people, a guilty nation. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. God does just that. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. It washes it away. It's gone. Mark's gospel, chapter 2. This is when those good friends broke to the ceiling to get their friend to Jesus. You want friends like that. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. That's what sent the Pharisees, you know, into turmoil. Jesus was claiming to be God. Who else can forgive sins? Um, I mean, I can forgive a trespass against me, but I can't forgive a sin. If it weren't for Jesus Christ, I could forgive bad people all I want. They would still be going to hell. I could forgive good people. They still would not be going to heaven. It took Jesus Christ to make that happen. So God had proven his presence in this house uh, when they were starving to death. When Elijah arrived, you'd think that she would be a little bit more ready to believe. But it's such a heavy load on her. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. Again, the guilt that a Christian retains for past sins, that's Satan messing with you. He's got a perch, and you've made him comfortable on that perch. And he's going to stay there as long as you give him those little treats of guilt. He should be gone because Christ has dealt with them. Stop dredging the lake for the sins that God has cast into it. Anyway, he's cast them away so you don't see them anymore. Um, When I think about things that I have done in the past, like um, maybe I've drank someone else's vanilla milkshake, I I, I get out of that. I start thinking, I I will sing psalms. I will quote scripture about other things. I will start praying for people. I will punish the enemy in that way. You're going to mess with my head. I'm going to take that opportunity to pray. And uh, over these years, it has been a great uh, tool. Anyway, sometimes, not many, once or twice, I've had to pray longer than I expected. And yet, God is faithful. And to kill my son. That's what she says. Her profound hurt. You can hear it in her voice. This is what the Jews did to God. You've led us out of of Egypt so you can kill us off in the desert. Numbers 21. I read this Sunday and the people spoke against God and against Moses. At least I referenced it. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and our souls hate this worthless manna. Man, that was intense. God was angry with them. So angry, he sent the, the snakes, the serpents, to, to bite them. And if he didn't bite you and die, you just got grossed out and died. <laughs> well, some people. Anyway, snakes have a, part, you know, they have a role in this world. And I don't know what it is. I'm not so sure God is sure. Because one person told me, don't shoot the snakes. They eat the rodents. Yeah, they eat like once a week. They eat one mouse a week, and they're good, or every three days. And meanwhile, the the rodents have had a litter of 50 more. They're not doing their job. Or my other one is, don't kill the spiders. They eat the bugs. They are the bugs. And and (laughs) they leave a mess behind. Oh, gosh. Some of this reasoning. Anyhow, I'm going to say tongue-in-cheek. Anyhow, uh, where was I? All right. She'll have a lot to think about when this child is raised from the dead, will she not? Like, she's got to go to the prophet. I made your favorite bread. (laughs) Why? I feel bad about what I said. Anyway, verse 19. And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. So this is the child is small enough for this. Her role was to let the man of God have him and not interfere which called for a lot of discipline. Elijah will teach his student... Elisha will have a similar incident. He is not presumptuous. He's, oh, God, stand back. God will heal. Thus saith the Lord. He's not doing that at this time. He is on full alert. He doesn't know what God is going to do and there's an element of desperation in how he deals with this. Uh, he's got to be saying to himself, what did you get me into? Uh, anyway... I mean, he's a man with a nature like ours. I would be saying, God, how could you? Was it too much to keep the child healthy? Couldn't you kill the pet dog or cat or something? I mean, Well, not kill. God didn't do this, but he allowed it. Anyway, so he took him out of her arms, carried him up to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his own bed. Um, Again, his quarters were not accessible from her quarters. That kept that... Uh, line of protection between the two. Verse 20, then he cried out to Yahweh and said, oh, Yahweh, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son. So he's, you know, he's on full alert. Poor prophet, man. It's, it's horrible to feel helpless in the face of some great need. It's just, man, all I can do is pray. And God says, no, don't say all I can do is Pray. Uh, pray. And that's what he's doing. Verse 21, he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to Yahweh and said, oh Yahweh, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. So situation is desperate. This is is prayer from a devastated heart. You can't say, well, there's no doubt in here. He just named it and claimed it, brother. That's just the most dumbest, blasphemous, unbiblical approach to doctrine that Where does it come from? Anyway, uh, this is what failed ministry or failure in ministry uh, is like. So you take it to God. You just go to the Lord. And Elijah sounds awful. God, how could you? Verse 22. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. And the soul of the child came back to him. And he revived. What a moment in time this must have been. You can just see Elijah. You can see the the, the the air go out of the balloon, the pressure, you know, just go right out. He's like, oh, thank you. Verse 23, Elijah took the child and brought him down uh, from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, Phew. <laughs> he said, see, your son lives. Yeah, he is man enough to tell us he did not have the faith entering into this fight. He is man enough to say. He cried out to the Lord with all he had. And we can still hear and feel the sigh of great relief in Elijah's voice. Verse 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know you are a man of God, and the word of God is in your mouth. Uh, The word of God in your mouth is the truth. Well, didn't you know that before? Uh, When I was (laughs) with the food thing? I mean, you're pretty desperate there. I'm puzzled by her need for further validation. There were false prophets that moved around, and she may have just, you know, sort of this emergency wiped away all the other stuff. And uh, um, anyway, Elijah proved himself once, and now because of God, again. And the word of the Lord, uh, she says, and the word of the Lord is, in your mouth is truth. Well, we want the world to say that about us. People need help identifying God's true people because there are so many frauds out there. And we are supposed to help them with that. Later, the Shunammite woman shows the same hospitality to Elijah, has a room for him and her child also. We'll pick this up uh, when we get to 2 Kings. But, The question is, for us, are we going to be useful? Let's pray. That widow was useful. Well, Father, what a just a powerful, powerful events and history story for us. Again, may we meditate on these things, as Paul told Timothy, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them. May you get us all home safely tonight, we ask you, in Jesus' name, amen.